Please be seated. A benchmark is a, is a standard. It's uh, something to which you compare something else to. We think of it in the business world, right? The, the S&P 500 might be a benchmark for the stock market. You might say that, uh, that the Fortune 500 is a, is a benchmark for, for what it means to be a successful company. You might benchmark your company's performance against a known competitor who has been a long-term player in the market who's establishing a tape measure could be a benchmark. I always love this one. How long you've been sitting there? <laughs> but benchmarks can also be aesthetic, right? So you could have the Bardini Gardens in Florence as a benchmark for what gardens should look like, and you can have a, um, a benchmark like the Pieta, okay, um, at St. Peter's. Um, for that matter, the Sistine Chapel, an amazing benchmark. I mean, you just don't make churches like, like that anymore, right? Part of it, we don't sell forgiveness anymore, so that kind of makes that unique. In a, the Dumo in Firenze is absolutely amazing. For those that are more interested in cars, the Porsche 911 RSR is an absolute benchmark. I'm missing something to mark my board with. You, uh, along with a benchmark ruler, you also need a pen. Okay, so let's say our benchmark is, let's say, just uh, 14 inches and a little arrow there. And then we also have, like, for some people, the benchmark would be like a Harley-Davidson, okay? Others would say, no, 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 not a Harley. You would need to have a, you would need to have a Ducati to be truly accurately all right on the mark. That's beautiful. I love that. The straw is smarter than I am. For some people, it's a place, um, a Nürburgring, okay? It's a, a track, right? And others, it's a Le Mans. Um, oh, you're an American audience, right? Daytona, you only want to turn left. I get it. <laughs> Paddock Philippe, a benchmark, right? Or Rechamil, uh, okay, the French uh, Swiss watchmaker. Mother Teresa, okay, who you would argue as a benchmark for what a human being ought to look like. Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks. General Joseph Warren Stilwell. Vinegar Joe, one of my favorite characters coming out of World War II, okay? He has the benchmark quote of all time for me, don't let the, well, I can't repeat it this morning because there's a word in there. I'll share it with you on the side because it really is an impersonal correspondence. Manet, okay, a modernist, a benchmark. Monet, okay, an impressionist. Dolly, a surrealist, all benchmarks, right? The 9,387 soldiers whose remains lie at Normandy might be a benchmark. Page 1009, three verses. More dad humor? Why is the number seven so scary? Because seven, eight, nine. I love that. Seven, eight, get it? Eight, eight. You got to know that you can spell eight two different ways and it means two different things, right? So we'll start with 6b. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man or humans, but typically it's men who tend to do the bad things in our world, okay? I can say that. I'm a guy. Do to me. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Really, verse 7? We could just spend the whole time in verse 7 because there's at least four or five or six or seven different ideas right here. Number one, consider, consider your leaders. To whom do we allow leadership into our lives? 
To whom do we listen? To whom do we allow the space to influence us? What voices are the loudest? What voices are the most frequent in our days? What voices do we allow to influence us? Uh, Those are the voices that I would say exercise leadership in our lives. A few years ago, I read a book called The Poisonwood Bible. I was very angry with it, right? I was very angry when I read the book. And I'm like, why am I? And it's a good book, really. It's a cautionary tale about a preacher. And so it was good for me to read, but it made me angry, you know? What are the things that make us angry? What are the things that get us wound up? Do we allow those voices to influence us? I'm going to push you really, really hard. Really, 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 really hard. Sometimes the loudest voices in our world is our Instagram story or TikTok feed. Sometimes the loudest, most consistent voices in our lives are Fox News. We allow those voices to have influence in our lives. They make us angry. They make us frustrated. They describe the world as it is, and we got to change it. Really? Really? Podcasts that we listen to that get us wound up. The text starts, consider, consider. Remember your leaders. And very quickly, the author of Hebrews is going to respectable from a biblical perspective leaders. But I think we need to start with the idea of, okay, who do we allow to speak into our lives? And should we allow them to speak into our lives? And I would argue that if what we're listening to doesn't get us to the place where the text ends today, then we should cut it loose. We should cut it loose. Not have it on all day droning on in the background. Or if we're hard of hearing really loudly in the background. You ever walk into a person's house that's hard of hearing? You're like, oh, turn it down. It's just so loud. All right, half of you are ready to leave right now. (laughs) Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. The author of Hebrews is arguing that leaders speak the word of God. And I think by extension, we can say, if the person that you're listening to isn't speaking the word of God to you, then they shouldn't be a leader. She shouldn't have a place of prominence in our lives. If a leader doesn't speak the words of God, it would seem they don't qualify as leaders. Time Magazine 100, influential individuals, the people that we know, the people that we love, the people that we respect, the people that we follow, do they speak the words of God? And if they don't, then they don't qualify to be leaders and shouldn't be afforded a place of prominence in our lives. That's the second idea out of verse 7. Number three, look at the outcome of their life. If it's valuable, then imitate it. 
consider the outcome of the way of life and imitate their faith. Now, you have to understand the context to which the author of Hebrews is writing into is a first century context in which the leaders, one of the greatest leaders in the entire world ever, and maybe you'll be offended by, say, one of the greatest leaders, the greatest leader, right? Gave, gave life. Frequently, the leaders in the first century are not favored by the government and are often executed because of their faith. And yet they stand firm in the face of death. Look at the, consider a leader who's willing to die for you. And likewise, out of this, I think there's a reasonable application that speaks to me but I think speaks to anyone that's here because we are all leaders in our sphere of influence. Each and every one of us has leadership in our sphere of influence. Each and every one of us speaks into someone else's life in some way, shape, or form. And if we lead, then we should lead a life worth following. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Consistent, persistent, persuasive, compassionate, kind, righteous, it's, it's, it's all there. We could articulate the attributes of Jesus, and we could spend the rest of our lives filling books without end. That's what the author of John argues for. Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the ultimate benchmark. Are we constantly calibrating our lives to Jesus? It's always fun to me, and, and I, can be, I can be critical of my profession, okay, right? I can be critical of my profession, and I can say it's always fun to me. i got to get my safety glasses. It's, it's always intriguing to me when people define themselves as something, okay? As, as, as something, okay? So say that um, someone um, is a, a follower or a, a church plant out of Wooddale Church, okay? Other people might say, oh, you're a wood chip. Actually, we don't refer to ourselves as that way. Um, but at any rate, and others would say, oh, wow, you're, you're, you're a piper cub, you know? Or, or, or going back a few thousand years, not a few thousand years, a few hundred years, you might say, oh, I'm a Calvinist. I'm a Calvinist. Are you? Really? Because I think the standard is Jesus, isn't it? And don't get me wrong, the Geneva Reformer was amazing. I've stood in his church. It's, it's well, not his church, a building that he preached in. Church belongs to Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. The standard is Christ, okay? And so if the standard is Christ, okay, so then we have this, okay, 14 inches is the standard, okay? So then we get another board and we make the standard, okay? Well, let's just, then there's a whole bunch of people that make their living doing what I'm about to do and they're going to find all sorts of things wrong with what I do. Okay, so what we do is like this, right? Okay, we take the standard, okay, and we make a board from the standard and we go like this. 
okay? Right? That's what we do. And then we take this board, okay, and we make another board, okay? Right? Okay? And, uh, and sometimes we just fudge the math just a little bit, okay? And so then we create another board, right? And we go like this, right? Okay? And then we take this board, okay, because this is a standard now, right? And we take another board and we mark, okay, and we find ourselves very quickly fudging it, okay, because we just change a few things, right? Okay, and then we get to here and we go. And everyone's amazed that I haven't cut my fingers off yet. And what we quickly realize is that because we haven't gone back to the standard, we suffer over time. So don't compare yourself to Paul. Don't compare yourself to John Calvin. Don't compare yourself to your favorite preacher of today. Okay? And certainly, for God's sakes, don't compare yourself to a politician. <laughs> Come on. Come on. And I don't care whether you're over here on the right or over here on the left. Seriously, please. And if you're a politician, you know what I'm talking about. So just like you would even say, don't do that. No, no, no. No, go back to the standard. Go back to the standard. And there's so many things that we get so wrong because we're the follower of a person who used to follow or tries to follow. No, just, just go back to the standard. It, it's, it's why the book is so important. It's why the teachings of Jesus are so absolutely critical to our existence. Don't be a follower of Paul or John Calvin. Don't Please don't be a follower of John Just. Don't. Be, be a follower of Jesus Christ. Benchmark, verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. I read this verse a week ago Sunday. And I'm like, okay, what are we dealing with here? Are we dealing with uh, food that's been sacrificed to animals? Are we, what, what? I mean, the first part makes sense, right? Good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Okay, that makes sense, right? Spiritual, mystical, mysterious, otherworldly. Okay, all of the things that are true about the kingdom of God. I mean, but what's being described in the second part of that? Does it mean I shouldn't eat? Does it mean I shouldn't eat food sacrificed to idols? Should it disordered eating? Does it mean I should intermittent fast? Or what does it mean? Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. This is a benchmark of bad. Strange teachings, diverse teachings, better translated, weird. Weird teaching, goofy teaching, secret teaching. Someone ever comes to you, or if you ever on an internet site, or, or, or you're listening to a podcast, and you're like, oh, we have secret information. <laughs> yeah, I have secret facts about unicorns. <laughs> Can you have a fact about a unicorn? 
And would a fact about a unicorn do you any good? Maybe if it's secret? Maybe if it's that secret that I need you to tell me, it may not be worth knowing. The idea of being, of being led away, of being carried away, of being swept away. It's not an idea of going over a waterfall, okay? Anyone can see a waterfall coming in the river, okay? No one's going to be like intentionally like, oh, I accidentally, no, not intentionally, but accidentally got caught in a waterfall. Oh, I knew the, no, you don't accidentally go over Niagara. The, the, the text suggests something much more subtle, okay? You're, you're swept away, a, a river slowly carrying you away, a, a, a riptide carrying you out to sea, and you're like, wait a second, the beach seems like it's getting further and further and further away. It, it, it's the subtle. It, it, it's the subtle. It's, the, it's, the, it's a little bit wrong, but it's mostly right. It's like 95% right. Just, the idea just misses a little, but there's so much, there's so much that sounds so good. careful because that idea of missing just a little means it's missed entirely right and over time that compounds and and that's slow that's slow being swept away being carried out to sea and all of a sudden you realize you're in trouble or maybe worst case scenario you don't realize you're in trouble at all you think you're just fine and so you go on saying stupid stuff. I become aware I will cross 55 this year. The hair continues to go. And I've caught myself criticizing the younger generation. <laughs> you know what you sound like when you do that? You sound like an old man. <laughs> an old grumpy man. Like you never did anything wrong, John. Yep, that's right. Let's not get distracted. If I look at the younger generation and all I am is critical of it, then how am I having my heart be strengthened by grace? Understand that one. Explain that one to me. If my heart is to be strengthened by grace, then help me understand how being critical of the younger generation does that. And you know me well enough. Please don't give me any of the gibberish back. No, I'm not saying that things don't matter. I'm just saying that all I'm turning into is a grumpy old man. I think I've gotten distracted. I think I've lost sight of the goal. I think I'm no longer allowing my heart to be strengthened by grace. And that's a challenge, right? Can grace win? Many would say no. Grace can't win. 
Grace doesn't win. And, and, I, and I get it in a temporal world sense. I read this article last night. This young mother, okay? Ethiopia. Drought-stricken area. She escapes with three of her children. She has eight. One child dies on the journey. They bury the child and keep on moving. I, I, I don't even have a space for that to go. Can't even comprehend that. And yeah, it's easy with those kinds of stories to answer the question can grace win? No, it can't. And I get the response in a temporal, worldly sense. But I say this with more certainty than I've said anything else in my life. If we don't think grace can win, then we are not on the winning side. And yeah, there's much that I cannot do about the world in which I live. But I can consume what I eat. I can consume grace. I can produce grace. Jesus acted with grace. We can't fool people. The, the greatest argument for Christians is when they act with grace, when they behave like Jesus Christ taught us to behave. That is the greatest argument. No one that I've ever read has a problem with Jesus Christ. Excellent teacher amazing individual, lived a compelling life, all of these things, even people that reject the deity of Jesus Christ are like, he is the man. No one has a problem with Christ. People have a problem with Christians sometimes. We betray what we consume by the words and behaviors we exhibit. We're not fooling anyone. If we say that we are a follower of a Christ and then behave in a way that is decidedly not Christ-like, we're not, we're not fooling anyone. Maybe ourselves. So you might argue one person. We are what we eat. And if what we can consume is a steady diet of vitriol and anger and frustration and pain and everything that's wrong in the world, it's going to show. And likewise, if we consume grace, if we consume the life and teachings of the standard, which is Jesus Christ, there's so many questions that I can't possibly answer for you. I can barely answer them for me, and, and at times it's just best for me to keep them as questions. But maybe you'd write down this one. What does grace mean for me? What does grace mean for me?
Maybe even another one, right? How do I embody grace? Some of us, we got to start with ourselves. We got to be gracious to ourselves. We got to forgive ourselves. We got to believe that if God can forgive us, we should forgive ourselves. How do I embody grace for myself? How do I embody grace for those around me? Because the author of Hebrews leaves us with this. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, enabled by your Spirit to seek you, And I thank you for that. Because on my own, I'm a pretty desperate character. And I need your grace in my life. And I need your grace to flow through my life. Thank you, Father, for the challenge of your words. Let us be constantly drawn to the standard that is Jesus Christ who never changes. It's in his name we pray. Amen.